I know that I've done it. And I guess that all of you here have done it at some point. You have sat in a place with other people and it's been quite a quiet place. Maybe the people there are work colleagues, possibly friends, maybe people from church, maybe complete strangers that you've never met before. You've sat there in the still and the quiet and then your tummy has rumbled. (laughs) You've maybe had a meal not long ago. On the other hand, maybe it's been a few hours. But either way, you were not expecting that rumble that shattering of the silence. The rumble is so loud. That rumble must have been heard by everybody else there, but nobody admits to it having taken place. That rumble was as loud as maybe a plane taking off from Gatwick Airport and you imagine yourself sat at the end of the runway. It's maybe an indication that you've not properly digested the meal. Maybe that you swallowed too much air because you were talking while you were eating against the teaching of your mother. But when it's at its loudest, it's often an announcement to the world that you are hungry and you want something to eat. Now, I imagine that there were probably a good few rumbles happening on the hillside near the Sea of Galilee. 5,000 men, plus the women and children, all in need of something to eat. They've travelled, some of them, following Jesus from the other side of the sea. They're there, but they are without food. The crowd is coming closer and closer, and Jesus knows what they are after. Yet not one of them is saying, give us food. You see, the crowd that is approaching is coming because they are hungry, but not hungry to fill their stomach. It's not just their belly that needs feeding, but their heart and their mind. They come to be fed with the teaching of Jesus. They come to experience his power to perform wondrous signs. They come because they want to see change happen in their lives and in their community. They are hungry and they come because they want God to feed them. Last week... 
we heard Adrian talk of the work of Christians Against Poverty. We heard of hungry people, people who had gone without food, but also people who were hungry for change to come into their lives. So hungry, they maybe did something they least expected. They went to a church. When we see the destruction of Aleppo on the news and people fleeing their homeland, we see people hungry for food and hungry for change. When we see the images of the devastation in Haiti following Hurricane Matthew a few weeks ago now, we see people desperate for a new start, desperate for food in their stomach, desperate for shelter, desperate for change, hungry for change. Whenever we look at the world outside these doors, we see a world where people need redemption, where they are in desperation, where they are hungry for something to happen, but quite often they don't know what it is that might resolve their problem, that could resolve their problem, which would resolve their problem. They are hungry, but they don't know about the food. They need hope. And today, in our passage, we see Jesus come and give hope to the people as he feeds them on the hillside. The people are fed up with the Roman rulers. The hypocritical Pharisees give them heartburn. Wholeness must be found through seeking God's kingdom. And that the setting that the writer of the fourth gospel puts this into gives us a flag that it is time for change. It's always important whenever we open the Bible, whether it's here in church or at home or in your home groups, or anywhere else that we might be turning through the pages and trying to grapple with the text, that we think of the context that the passage falls into as well as the content that is actually there. The context and the content must go together to give the meaning. And so if we were to look just a little wider... Just one verse earlier, we get the key 
that unlocks what is happening here. In verse 4, it says, The Jewish Passover feast was near. We have people hungry on a hillside, but a feast is near. And it's not just a meal that people sit down at. The Passover was not merely a gathering event that we might have on Village Day or at the Arts Festival or in a few weeks' time, Bonfire Night. But Passover had a special meaning for the Jews. It brought a fresh awareness and awakening of how God had freed his people from oppression and how he would free them too. The story of the Passover was something that had happened, but was also a story of something that would happen, a release from slavery that was yet to come. John tells us in his gospel about three different Passovers. There is a Passover at the start of Jesus' ministry. At that Passover, Jesus goes into Jerusalem. He enters the temple. He turns the tables over. The other gospel writers only give us that account during Holy Week. But John tells us it happens right at the start. A difference is coming. A sign that change must take place. A call to repentance. John links this into the Passover. A release from captivity. The Passover that we are more used to thinking about with Jesus is, of course, Holy Week itself. And this happens the year after the Passover that we are looking at today. When Jesus returns again to Jerusalem two years on from turning those tables. And he becomes the Passover lamb. The lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. Here in between those times in Jerusalem. Here in the middle. We are at a Passover where people are journeying. And remembering how God had led them through a time of wilderness. How he had fed them in their time of need. In this Passover, the multitude are fed. All having enough with baskets to spare. One basket for each tribe of Israel. 
And John describes this event, this great feast of Passover on the hillside as being a miracle. Often it is talked of as a non-miraculous event. A concept of sharing. Everyone felt a little guilty when they saw the boy hand over his food. Maybe we'd better do that too. John stresses that something different is happening. He looks at Jesus and says, He distributed the bread. It was Jesus that handed out the bread. And the writer continues, He did the same with the fish. It's putting it clearly into the hands of Jesus to share among the people. It is the Lord who feeds the crowd. The disciples get the job of doing the clearing up. But that there is so much left over is a further sign that this is not just a case of suddenly some folk owning up to having a little bit of food with them. Else, there would probably have been nothing left. They would have taken what they needed. If they shared what they thought they needed with others that didn't have anything, then there wouldn't be anything left. If it had been a case of people having brought food and eating it themselves and there being leftovers, they would have taken it away themselves. Instead, we have baskets gathered up. But this is not the first time that barley loaves have been broken to feed the hungry. In 2 Kings chapter 4, towards the end of chapter 4, Elisha is presented with 20 barley loaves. Now, of course, Elisha was a prophet, and what you were supposed to do was give them to a priest, but the priests had kind of fallen out of favour. This is the gift of first fruits being made. And Elisha says, take this bread and break it among the men. Feed the men outside, he says to his servants. And the servants go, there's a hundred men outside and we've only got 20 loaves. That's not going to feed them. That is not going to satisfy a hundred rumbling stomachs. But Elisha says, no, get on with it, do it, and there will be food left, because that's what the Lord says. 
And sure enough, we see in 2 Kings 4, the word of the prophet. The bread is broken, it's shared, and there is ample left after everyone has had their fill. Here in John, we see that Jesus has but a quarter of the number of loaves. Yet he can feed more than 50 times as many people. He could feed as many as were there and more besides. And the crowd sees Jesus as a man of God. Not because he says, share your food, but because he brings change. Because he meets them where they are and does what is needed to bring hope and to bring life and to bring redemption. The crowd see Jesus as a man of God, as a prophet, as the prophet that has been long awaited. And the fact this is Passover rings true to them. Here is the one who is coming, the one that has been long spoken of. But they misunderstand how God wants things to happen. Their idea is to make him king. They do not realize that he is already king of all creation. The one that knows the beauty of the whole earth because he made by his hands the whole earth. Their method is not his method. Their hunger is rightly placed. Their hunger for change to come to their lives, for change to come to their nation, for change to come into the world, is the right hunger. But they want that hunger dealt with in the wrong way. Their action is misguided. We must be aware that just because we think we are right, just because we see something of God and think it must be this way, it doesn't mean we are right. And this applies to individuals. It applies to the church as a whole. And it applies to groups of God's people within the church. We sometimes want our way forward to be the way forward. God might have a plan and we resist that plan because it's not the way we want it to be. We must always try to discern where the Spirit is rightly leading. 
at times that might be to our deficit. It might take people in a direction they do not want to go. To go God's way sometimes causes upset and emotional pain. But in that pain, they will find succor when they realize what God's will is and remember that it is our ultimate purpose to serve the Lord. And in setting aside our personal desires so that we may do his will, they will see the growth of his kingdom. The barking of my dog next door (laughs) reminds me that my dog is often hungry. And it will steal food I know it's my dog because when he steals food, Emmeline says, your dog has, (laughs) your dog has, but the things it steals are not always good for it. The things it chooses to eat are not always healthy. Same might be said about us too. The things that we use to satisfy our hunger are not always the right thing. And so we must develop the right sort of hunger and look for the right way for that hunger to be fed. Develop a hunger for righteousness, for justice, for mercy. Seek that hunger to be met by God's way. Don't have the sweet tooth of the thing that tastes nice in your mouth. But eat the wholeness of what God wants to give you. And consider how fed by the Lord we may grow in faith and strength.